Well, it's fun, fun uh, seeing that video from Blake and Matt. I do actually I have a long history of those guys. Uh, I met them when they were first, uh, first when they were students. They were living across uh, the street in the luxury apartments we know as Scandia over here. And, you know, I had this uh, standing invitation I could come over to their place at any point in time, which can be kind of a frightening thing, right, to go to a college guy's apartment. But um, they also lived with Chris Thompson. And if you know Chris, anytime I would go be over there, Chris would be vacuuming and doing dishes and whatever. Right? Chris, Chris kept the place uh, in some semblance of order because these guys had a, they had a weekly gathering uh, on Monday nights that went on for three years. It was uh, mac and cheese night, right? Every Monday was mac and cheese night, and Matt would make this huge vat of macaroni and cheese, and they would invite all of their friends and uh, the, the neighbors around them and people who were in Bible studies, and so I could go to mac and cheese night anytime I wanted to have mac and cheese. And uh, I remember one, at one point in time, one of their upstairs neighbors, I think the guy's name was Scott, Scott said, hey, what would you guys think if I invited George and Barbara Bush to come to mac and cheese night? And like, oh, wow, okay. Well, see, uh, Scott was out at the, uh, the Bush Library, and uh, whenever the, the Bushes would come in, he was kind of like an extra personal assistant for them, and he might help carry some bags in or walk their dog or whatever, so he knew the Bushes real well. And he's like, what do you think? Should I invite them? And they're like, oh, my gosh, that would be awesome, right? That would be just absolutely amazing to invite uh, President uh, Bush and Barbara Bush to come, and, you know, knowing them, they, they might even come. That would be awesome. That would be amazing. And then they're like, oh. I wonder if we should serve salad too. <laughs> you know, we gotta, we gotta put on our best, right? Well, Scott chickened out and never invited, which is super disappointing because knowing the Bushes, they might have actually showed up, right, for mac and cheese night, and these guys were gonna put on their best, add a salad, right? Add a salad to the, the mac and cheese. So I just, it made me think, you know, if, if George and Barbara had ever received an invitation from you and accepted and were coming to your house, what would you serve? Probably not mac and cheese, right? Or at least you'd add a salad to kind of take it up a notch. What would you, you'd serve your best, right? And you would put your best dishes out and your best glasses out and your best silverware. You'd, you'd, I mean, you would just pull out all of the stops because you would want to honor them as guests in your home. The problem in the day of Malachi is that the people are not honoring the Lord. They're not serving him their best. They're not giving their best. They're holding back. And so God sends Malachi to the people to stir up their hearts so that they will once again give him their best. I want you to read with me in Malachi chapter 1. If you've not turned there, we're going to be in Malachi chapter 1 again. And we're going to read to begin verses 6 through 8. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father... Where is my honor? And if I am your master, where is my respect? Says the Lord who commands armies to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You're presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? God is worthy of our best. He's worthy of our best in worship. And the people were not giving him their best. They were serving him the leftovers. Remember the setting is uh, that the people had been uh, taken away into exile because of their 
idolatry and their consequent oppression of the poor, and they didn't allow the land to rest. So God allowed the Babylonians to come in and remove them from the land. And they tore down uh, the temple, they tore down the walls of the city, they completely destroyed everything. But then, according to God's promise, miraculously, the people were allowed to return. And they went back, and they rebuilt the temple, and they restored the sacrificial system, and they rebuilt the walls of the city. And they had moments of just incredible enthusiasm and energy to restore worship to God. But then they also had moments where they just became apathetic. Because now that they're back in the land, they're really not doing that well materially. They're not prospering that much. They're living, most of them, in poverty. And so they're, they're reluctant to give God their best. They're afraid to give God their best because they're not confident that God can and will provide for them. And so they're holding back. And they're bringing offerings that are essentially worthless, right? They're, they were, didn't, go, didn't go back into idolatry. They learned that lesson. But they're just going through the motions of worship. It's just the external form of worship. And God says, this is worthless worship. Remember, the word worship literally means to proclaim or demonstrate worth. Worth Worth-ship. To show worth, to proclaim worth, to demonstrate worth, to to exclaim, this is what this thing or this person means to me. I'm ascribing value to it. In the Hebrew language... It means literally to fall down. Right? So when I worship something, I fall down. And when I fall down, that thing is above me. And I'm demonstrating that it has more value than I have. But the people are worshiping without cost. Because they're bringing to God what is actually worthless to them. I want you to mark your place here in Malachi and turn back to the book of Leviticus. Back toward the beginning of the Bible. Leviticus chapter 22 Beginning in verse 17 describes the kind of offerings the people are supposed to bring to the Lord. Leviticus 22, verse 17. says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, and to all the sons of Israel, and say to them, Any man of the house of Israel, or of the aliens in Israel, who presents his offering whether it is any of their votive or any of their freewill offerings, which they present to the Lord for a burnt offering, for you to be accepted, it must be a male without defect from the cattle, the sheep, or the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it will not be accepted for you. When a man offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a special vow, or a freewill offering of the herd or of the flock, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or fractured or maimed or having a running sore or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord nor make them an offering by fire in the altar to the Lord. Bring your best. Bring what's unblemished. Bring what's most valuable. Bring your first fruits. Trust me with the rest of the crops. Bring what is absolutely most precious to you because that demonstrates how much you value me. Now, did the Lord need their burnt offerings? No, he, he didn't, right? He, he was the source of all things. What he wanted was their hearts. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the sacrificial system was designed to shine a light on their hearts, to expose the false loves that they might have chased after and turn their hearts completely and fully back to the Lord. So bring your best. Don't, don't worship without cost. 
Because when you make a sacrifice, it demonstrates that you value me. Now, when I uh, leave to the office to come home every day, I always make a call to my wife or I send her a text and I say, Honey, do you need anything? Is there anything I can get for you at the house? Do we need milk? Do we need eggs? Do we need whatever? And it seems like we always need something. I probably go to Kroger six days a week. I'm not kidding, right? I've seen many of you walking the aisles of, of Kroger. I see you because I'm there so frequently at Kroger. And uh, as I walk into Kroger, if you're familiar with Kroger on Rock Prairie, if I turn to the left, that's where all the flowers are. And so from time to time, I will stop and I will purchase flowers for my wives. And before you start thinking more highly of me than you ought to think, I place no value on flowers at all, right? I'm, I, cut flowers baffle me, really, because you cut them and they die, right? I'm like, what's the point? I don't, I don't get it all. However, my wife values flowers. So I go over and I don't just walk through and go, got it, right? I, I look at, I inspect. I, I really do. I inspect because I don't want to just grab something, I bring it home, and it's all wilted and nasty and brown and whatever, because this is Kroger, right? It's Kroger flowers. So I'm, I'm looking and inspecting because I want to bring the best that is offered there because I care about my wife. And I come home and I get, you know, the predictable reaction. I mean, she, just, she feels so loved because I thought about her, and I took the time to pick out flowers that I think that she'll like. I show her that I value her. I don't personally value flowers at all. But I value my wife, and so I'll take the time and I'll spend the money to demonstrate to her that I value her. Now, this week I was walking through the hallway, and Brad Evans asked me, so what are you you preaching about this week? And so it's Malachi, and I'm talking about uh, God's being, he's worthy of of our best, our greatest offerings. And I just alluded to this illustration about the flowers, and he started laughing. And he told me a story about himself, and I asked permission if I could tell this story about Brad. I just want you to know that ahead of time, because it doesn't necessarily necessarily reflect well on Brad, so I had to ask (laughs) permission. So uh, when Brad was, uh, before he met Susan, before he was married, uh, he was on staff with crew, and uh, he and another fellow staff member, Guy, they discovered that the local florist shop at the end of the weekend would take all of their cut flowers that they hadn't been able to sell, and they would throw them into the dumpster. (laughs) You can just feel where this is going. You just feel it, don't you? So they discovered the, the, the place of the dumpster, the location, the time. And on a weekly basis, they would go by that dumpster. And he said they would get armfuls of flowers and then give those flowers to the girls who were on staff with crew. And they loved these flowers. They, they were so grateful. Until... They found out that they'd been rescued from the dumpster, right? (laughs) Then they held no value whatsoever, right? No value at all. Now, Tristy and I experienced something similar to this several years ago. A friend of ours gave us a coffee table book, and it was kind of a nice coffee table book. And after he gave it to us, he just got really, really excited. He said, I gave these this year to, to all of my friends because I was walking behind this row of stores, and I looked in the dumpster, and there were 25 of these in the dumpster. We're like, thanks. I mean... You've heard the phrase, it's the thought that counts? It depends on the thought, right? Some thoughts don't count at all, right? What kind of offering is that? that? That doesn't feel like you value me. And that's what the people are doing. Right? They're giving to God what's been stolen. What 
is um, defective, what they couldn't sell anywhere else. They're giving to God that which costs them nothing. Read with me in Malachi chapter 1, verse 12. The Lord says, you are profaning it. That is, you're profaning my name. The name of God represents who God is. It's his nature, his attributes, his character, his works. The name represents God. It says, you are profaning it. You are literally, you're treating me as common. Yeah, just offer that to God. Whatever. Just get the old man off our backs. You are regarding my name like any other name. In that you say the table of the Lord is to be defiled. And as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, my how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick. So you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand? To despise means to look down upon something. And if I'm looking down upon it, it's below me. It's not above me. He says, you're despising me. It's not just that you're regarding me as common. You're regarding me as less than even yourselves. In fact, when you come to worship, you just go, whatever. You sniff at it. You're going through the motions of worship, but I deserve your best. So what's the solution? Chapter 1, verse 10. The Lord says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord who commands army, nor will I I accept an offering from you. The Lord says through Malachi, I wish that one of you would just shut the gates. Could you just stop for a minute? This is worthless worship. I want you to stop. Shut the gates. Consider for a moment who I am. Consider for a moment who I am. Verse 11, For from the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure, for my name will be great among the nations. And then the end of 14, For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is honored among the nations. I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I am unparalleled. There is none like me at all. Not amongst men, not amongst the gods. And in fact, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I am the creator and the sustainer of the universe. There is none like me. I am worthy of your best. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm working during the week, I'm sitting at my desk over here and I look out onto the parking lot, right? It's just parking lot. And I begin to think about the troubles of the world begin to kind of crowd down and all of the duties and responsibilities. And I begin to, I'm, my chest is feeling tight. So I just get up from my desk and I take a walk. And I walk around this place and I walk across the street and I begin to just thank God for creation. And I imagine creation again. I imagine that moment when God spoke and he flung the universe into existence, right? There was no point of reference as we spoke before. Nothing existed. There was only God. And then he, he, he makes the stars in this ever-expanding universe. Even now, God knows all of them by name. He's paying attention to all of them. And even the intricacies of your body to the cellular level and below, he sees all of these things. We can't even make a telescope that can reach the ends of the universe or a microscope that can see the smallest particles in the universe. And yet God is paying attention to all of these. He knows all of these things at every single moment in time, and I can relax 
Because he is great. He is worthy of my best. He's unparalleled. There is none like him. So let's shut the gates for a moment and think about this one that we worship. The one true God, creator, sustainer, redeemer of the universe. And give him our best. And not hold back. What does this look like? Worthy worship is sacrificial. The sacrificial system required sacrifice, right? Required sacrifice. There was something that was, was given up. I want to tell you another Brad Evans story. And once again, I asked permission. I'm telling you this story to kind of make up for the previous story. Right? Uh, after uh, Brad's days of giving away dumpster flowers, he met Susan. And eventually he decided he wanted to marry Susan. But uh, Brad had no money. Brad was, was a poor crew staff member. But Brad did have some assets. He had some assets that were very, very valuable to him. In fact, uh, if you know Brad Evans at all, you know that he loves to hunt and he loves to fish. And he's really quite skilled. He taught me how to hunt turkey. It's a pretty fun thing to see Brad in the field. He's really, really good at that. He loves fishing even more than he loves hunting. He loves to duck hunt because he can combine the two. Because he can get in his boat and he can go out on the water and he can kill birds. Right? So he loves, he, this is what he loves. And he, he, he had a... a a hunting fishing boat that he loved, right? And and I asked him about this. He said, "Oh man, he just he goes. This was some beautiful boat. You know, you just see the warmth. I mean, I thought he was going to cry. A little tear coming down his eyes. And he said, I just you know, I, I I scraped that boat down and I painted it with camo and I could use it for for uh, you know fishing and hunting. He said, I just absolutely loved it. But I wanted to I wanted to marry Susan. I had no money, so uh, so I sold my boat." And I sold my ATV. <laughs> Valuable asset, right? <laughs> and uh, I said, well, what do you think? Was it worth it? <laughs> he goes, oh, yeah. Oh. You want to know what a, a boat looks like on somebody's hand? See Susan's ring. I said, oh, yeah. So I gave up. I gave up something that was far less valuable for Susan. That's worship. It's, it's sacrificial. Again, did God need their, their animals? No. He, he's the, he was the source of all of their wealth. Does God need any of our wealth or resources? No, he doesn't need anything from us. That, that's one of the characteristics of the nature of God. He is independent. He has no needs. He has no deficiencies. Theologians call it aseity. He is being in and of himself. There's nothing that he needs from us. But he wants our hearts, and he knows that we need to worship. And worship is sacrificial, and we need that. Why? Because it's reality. He is worthy. He is worthy of our best. He is greater than anything or anyone that exists. And so when we worship and worship sacrificially, we're just aligning ourselves with the reality of the universe. And to live any differently is to live a lie. Because God alone is worthy. And so you'll recall, remember when David, uh, the, the plague was sweeping through Israel. 
And the angel of the Lord stands in front of him and says, you want to stop the plague, you've got to make a sacrifice. So he goes to Arauna, who owns this plot of land, and says, please sell it to me so I can make a sacrifice to the Lord. And Arauna says, no, 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 just take it. It's yours. You can have it. And you can have my oxen for the sacrifice. And David says, no, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. He said, I want to pay. Brad wanted to sell his boat. He wanted to make a sacrifice. David wanted to make a sacrifice because he wanted to demonstrate and proclaim to the Lord how valuable the Lord is to him. That's part of worship. Not that God needs our time or our money or our talents. He's not in deficit. But we need to give. Because we need our hearts realigned. And so God's going to constantly come and just poke at your heart. And test for things that may have begun to wrap their tentacles around your heart. And it might be your possessions, or it might be your wealth, or it might be your time that you're so guarded with, or a talent that you're not sharing with others, or a relationship that's squeezing out your love for God. And he's going to constantly poke. Why? Because that's death for you to love anything more than you love God. And so in his grace and his kindness, he just rips those things out of our hearts. So that we will live in truth and we will live in wisdom. Because it's right. right. True worship, worthy worship, is sacrificial. Second, worthy worship is joyful. And it's free. It's not coerced. I want you to turn the book of John with me. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Uh, of all of the events in Jesus' life, the three years that the disciples were with him, I think that this is uh, one of the most vivid and it's, a, it's really, in a sense, it's a moment of just sensory overload for the disciples. This is shortly before Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's sharing a meal with um, his disciples in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So just imagine the setting. They're all around having a meal, and there's conversation, and there's no noise going, and then they hear broken glass. What happens when you're sitting in a restaurant, and you hear somebody in the back drops glass? Everything stops. Everyone goes silent, right? There's broken glass, because Mary has taken this vial, and she's broken the neck. The glass shatters, and as soon as she shatters the glass, this is pure nard. It's a, an aromatic oil from East India. And it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. And so She breaks the glass, conversation stops, then the scent, this wonderful scent, just fills the whole room and they look toward the sound of the broken glass and they see something that is offensive, culturally inappropriate. This young woman is down at the feet of Jesus, her hair is let down, she's touching him and wiping his feet with her hair. Silence. All eyes are are fixed on this incredibly inappropriate, awkward moment. And Judas says, we're told in John, the other gospel accounts tell us all the disciples said the same thing. Remember? Why this waste? What, What a foolish young woman. 
could have just given some of that money away to the poor. What a waste. And Jesus knows what they're saying, even though they're whispering amongst themselves. He says, you know what, she's actually the only one among you who understands how valuable I am. And so what Mary gave there was literally, almost certainly, her entire life savings. And Jesus said it was appropriate. Because somehow the Spirit had given her insight into the sacrifice Jesus was about to make because he was about to give everything. Something far more valuable than a bottle of perfume. He was going to give his own life. The Father was about to sacrifice what was most valuable to him, that is the life of his Son, and the fellowship of Father, Son, and Spirit would be fractured and broken. God was about to give something far more valuable than we can even conceive of in giving his Son. The Son was about to give all, that is, give his life. And that's the essence of the gospel message. God gave all. Jesus gave his life. So that you could have this debt of sins Wiped out forever. And there's nothing that you can do to to pay back. It's too valuable. There's nothing that we have that's corresponding. And God doesn't ask for it. He says, just say thank you and receive this gift from me. And be grateful. That's the gospel message. And I want to encourage you. If you're here this morning and you've never said, God, I I now understand. (laughs) Thank you. I understand that Jesus gave all. He gave his life to pay for my sins, and you raise him from the dead so I could have life forever. Thank you. Let me encourage you this morning just to call out to God. You don't have to close your eyes or bow your heads. Just in, in, in the heart and in your mind, you can call out and say, God, thank you for giving that gift to me. Thank you for making that sacrifice so that I could have life. And the normal response to that when we're given a gift that is super valuable, we, we want to give something back, right? There's nothing that we can do to repay God But worship in which we give God our heart, soul, mind, and strength is just appropriate because he's worthy. God is creator. He is sustainer of the universe. He holds all things together. He's the one who gave his only son the most valuable possession that he had. He gave the life of his son. The son gave all so that we could have eternal life. And for us just to turn around and say, yeah, let let us give just a little portion back of all that you have given to us Let us give you our best. That's appropriate worship. And you know what? No one coerced Mary. No one forced her. No one said, get the jar out of the closet and go put it on Jesus' feet. Right? She did it because she wanted to. She did it knowing that she would experience some social ostracism from all of these men standing around saying, what a foolish young woman. But then Jesus would declare, no, you know what she has just done? They're going to talk about this for all of eternity. Because this woman knows how to worship. Worship means we give our best. It's a privilege to worship the creator of the universe. But sometimes privileges feel like duty, right? And they feel like a burden. I remember when I was at seminary studying the word of God that I would have moments where I thought, this is really tiresome. Uh, For one thing, it it was expensive. It was costly. For me to go study there. I, I did my undergraduate degree here at uh, Texas A&M University. Uh, I loved going here for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons I loved going to Texas A&M was because it was inexpensive. 
<laughs> I don't know if I ever shared this number before, but when I started at AM as an undergraduate, I paid $4 a credit hour. Gasp, right? <laughs> yeah, I paid $4 a credit hour. And uh, during my time at AM, and uh, they, they began to really jack up the rates. It was terrible. By the time I graduated, I was paying 16 There was moral outrage on campus among the students that it increased $16 an hour. But then I went to seminary, private school, and I paid 10 times as much in tuition, right? So, which even now you go, oh, that's nothing even, right, compared to A&M. But at the time, that was a lot of money. And so I was was struggling. I did not have a lot of money. I I had to work a a lot of jobs just to pay tuition, put food on the the table. And my friends were advancing in their careers and they're making money and they're buying houses and they're getting married. And I wasn't having any of that. And, and I remember just having moments where I'm like, man, this is hard. This is a burden. This is a struggle. And, you know, I was more of a quantitative guy. And now all I'm doing is reading and writing papers. It was work. It was labor. I was struggling. Felt like a burden to study the word of God. Several years ago, a, a DTS prof shared this letter from an African student, prospective student, who wanted to come and study at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he read this letter to his class. Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus. My wife and I are still trusting the Lord for a scholarship from Dallas Seminary to enable me to enroll the next school year. Our village was attacked by rebel forces and we lost everything we had. I would appreciate were you to email a photocopy of my letter of acceptance from DTS. Kindly consider my request. My letter of acceptance went missing when some unknown gunmen stayed in my home after we ran away from home. (laughs) Kind of puts it in perspective, right? I I noticed when I was at seminary that absolutely without question the godliest people at seminary were international students. There were, other, there were a few godly North Americans. But I'm just saying, <laughs> by and large, the international students who had made greater sacrifices just had this sense of the privilege of being there. And there was a gratitude and a joy and a maturity in their response, even in the face of the sacrifice. A really close friend uh, from India who had uh, left his wife and his four children for two years to come and study at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he was grateful. It was a privilege. And sometimes we just really kind of need that, that mental reset, right? This is an honor. This is a privilege. Even this morning as I was praying, I said, Lord, remind me, what an honor, what a privilege that you give to me, that I get to study God's word, and then I get to come on a Sunday morning and talk to you about the word of God, and I get to present the gospel. What a privilege, what an honor to do this thing. What a privilege, what an honor that we get to worship the creator of the universe. You know who created the universe. You know who sustains the universe. You know the son who paid the penalty of your sins. You know why you're here. You have purpose and meaning in your life. You know all of these things. What's a, a, a wonderful and appropriate response? It's just worship. Give your best. Give your best. God is worthy of our best worship. God is worthy of our best service and sacrifice. Turn back to Malachi chapter 2. In verse 1. Malachi 2, verse 1. And now this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and the curse, and I will curse your blessings. 
Indeed, I have cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. The people were all bringing inappropriate sacrifices, right? Um, Worthless worship. But it was the priest's job to teach them how to worship appropriately, right? So they would bring an animal, and the priest's job was to inspect the animal and say, that animal is not worthy of your Lord and your King, your Creator. Can I remind you who He is? Or yes, that animal is, is worthy of the great ruler of the universe. But that was the priest's job, and only the priest. They had a special calling that belonged to them. And as the priests went in their worship, so would go the people. It says in Leviticus 10, verse 3, By those who come near to me, that is, the priests and the Levites, I will be treated as holy, that is, unique, different, special, set apart. And before all of the people, I will be honored. So if the priests didn't honor the Lord, the people wouldn't honor the Lord. That's why the people were offering inappropriate sacrifices, because the priests weren't leading them. And so God comes and he says specifically to the priests, your service is not worthy. In your service to me, bring your best, because it's a privilege to serve the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, read like this. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant to the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to serve him, and to bless in his name until this day. Therefore, Levi does not have a portion or inheritance with his brothers because the Lord is his inheritance. Do you see the beauty of that? Each of the tribes got a geographic setting, an an area. Here's here's where the tribe of Dan will be and the tribe of Benjamin will be here and Issachar here and Ephraim here. But Levites, you're not going to get a specific territory. Do you know why? Because I'm your territory. I'm your portion. I'm your inheritance. Because none of the other tribes get to draw near to me. None of them get to be so close to me. None of them get to spend their days thinking and studying about the word. None of them get to represent me before the people and bring the people's prayers and offerings to me. That's a special privilege to you. And if someone from the tribe of Issachar shows up and says, hey, I want to be a priest too, I'm going to say no. That's only for the Levites. Somebody shows up from the tribe of Benjamin and says, well, I want to be a priest. I'm going to say no. That's a privilege only for the tribe of Levi. But you're regarding the privilege as common. You despise it. You sniff at it. You don't really care. You're forgetting that it's an honor to serve the Lord. The Levites represented God before the people, right? They stood as the the mediators. They're the go-betweens. Their teaching and their lives showed the people this is what God is like. And then they took the people's offerings and their prayers and they said, God, hear the prayers of your people. Receive their offerings. So they instructed the people, this is what God is like. And they demonstrated the people what God is like. And then they took the people's offerings and prayers and showed them to the Lord. and said, receive the people. So they stood in between. Right? They were the mediators of the blessings of God for the nation. But God would say, the nation is the mediator of the blessings of God for all of the nations around them. Exodus chapter 19. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God's saying is, I want an inheritance too. You're going to be my inheritance. All of Israel, you will be the intermediaries of my blessing to all of the nations. 
You will show them what I'm like so that they'll be drawn to worship me. And then you'll pray on their behalf that they will see me and they will come and worship me. That's a calling for all of you. Now, who are the priests today? That's right. We are. We raise our hands, right? First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race. Are we one race? Biologically, no. I see lots of races represented here. But there is something transcendent about your identity in Christ that Peter says, as a metaphor, we're, we're one race. We're a royal priesthood. That is a, a kingly priesthood. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We're his inheritance so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right? See, the, the commission is still the same. The calling is still the same. God has said, you will be my possession, body of Christ. Because I've redeemed you, I've bought you, you belong to me, you are my inheritance. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is, you will now be the intermediaries of blessing through Jesus. You will represent in your speech and in your your lives the beauty of who I am so that people will be drawn to me. And you will plead on their behalf. Lord, move in their lives so that they can receive this word as we share the gospel with them. Lord, move in our lives as we learn and instruct one another how to worship more fully. This is now our calling, and it's a privilege. And you know the word service in both Greek and Hebrew can actually be translated worship. But our service is just another form of worship. As we represent God to a broken and fallen world, that's evangelism. And as we teach and instruct and encourage and admonish one another, that's discipleship so that we will become better worshipers. And no one else can do that. Right? Just the church. Just the church. But sometimes privileges feel like burdens, don't they? Um, Malachi had a burden, as we talked about last week. It was this message. He didn't really want to deliver it because it's a hard message. But it was a privilege. Because he had a moment, an opportunity with the people of God to help turn their hearts fully back to the Lord. But sometimes privileges feel like burdens, don't they? You know, I, I have to mow my lawn. I don't like mowing my lawn. I especially don't like mowing my lawn in August, so I just like, turn off the water. I just, I, it's hot, and, you know, and I didn't grow up in all this heat. And I don't enjoy paying the bills, and I don't enjoy taking out the trash. I didn't enjoy repainting uh, our guest bathroom. It's just, it's work, and then uh, sometimes I'll go, but, but, but I have a lawn. I have a lawn. And I have a house. I have a house that, that needs painting, and I have health. So, you know, as soon as I started feeling better, and I had booked a few Sundays off, um, I painted our bedroom, and I painted the kids' bath, and I loved it. Because I was celebrating the fact that I had strength, right? Was, my strength was returning. I felt good. I have trash. I have so much abundance, I have to throw things away. What a privilege. And I just, I just needed that moment to kind of reset my whole perspective on things. So what's happened among these priests is they've just sense, lost that sense of wonder and awe of God. And so it says they're leading the people astray in their instruction. In fact, they don't see any value in the instruction itself. They don't see any value in God's message to them and the people. So what they do is they only teach the rich people. Because the rich people can pay them for the instruction and they ignore the poor. So they're trying to monetize the word of God. 
because they don't see any inherent value in their calling. So God sends Malachi and he says, do you remember what a privilege this is? You know the one true God. And you stand between people and God. And you teach them how to worship me well. And you represent their prayers and their longings and their needs before me. Do you see what an incredible privilege it is? Your service is your worship. Bring your best. Bring your best. So how do we apply this? Let me give you a couple of thoughts as we close. First is this. Are you giving God your best? Are you really giving God your best? And maybe this week, you, in a sense, you just kind of need to shut the doors, right? Just shut them for a second. And say, God, do, do you own all? Am I holding something back? Is there something that has become so dear to my heart that it's kind of squeezing out my, my love for you? Maybe it is uh, possessions. Maybe it's time. Time. I talked to a guy just this week, and he was really, I value time more than I value money. Are you really guarded with how you give that or your skill set that you could share with others? Maybe it's a relationship that's wrapping itself around your heart and you're not willing to give. Are you holding anything back? Are you giving God your best? And then how this week, this very week, can you make steps to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Let's pray. Father, uh, you are worthy. Jesus, thank you for giving all. I pray that in these moments as we close, that your spirit would speak very specifically to our hearts. And we would once again give you our best because you're worthy. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would love giving you our best. I pray, Father, that we would be people who hold nothing back. And I pray, Father, that as we learn through our lives and through our words to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light, that we would find joy in all of our worship and service to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. See you next week.